Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Have you ever been misquoted? Have you ever been misquoted? Has, um, has something you've said ever been taken out of context and used against you? Uh, don't you hate it when that happens? Uh, well, listen to this real quick. Westminster friends, we got food to eat and basketball you know, to talk about. See if you can figure that out. I love Lance Armstrong. He's always, he's always calling me. I don't know why. He says, are you a moron? I say, yeah, yeah, I am. Don't look at me. I was born practically wearing a kilt. I love bagpipes. The elders, the church leaders, there's this little game of Red Riding Hood that we play. They get, all these little kids kept saying, go up, you baldy. Go up, you baldy. If you want to live, don't make fun of people, especially bald people. I'm going to kill a bear with my bare hands. I got bullied by a trucker. Like every part of me wanted to Ricky Bobby him. No matter how hard you try, you can't cover up redneck. It just keeps coming out. It's all about the pastor. Okay, thank you, Cord. Um, you know, that was, if y'all remember from several years ago, that was an April Fool's joke that our director of communications played on me, um, which they took uh, just various, you know, all those sound bites were from various sermons that I, I did say, they pulled them out uh, and strung them together to create something that I did technically say, uh, but not in that context, right? Um, and look, that was just a harmless joke. <laughs> but, but when people misquote us, it can be frustrating, can it? Uh, can you imagine what that must be like for God when God is misquoted? Um, you know, from Photoshop images to clickbait headlines, we live in a world where deception and missing context abound. Right? You know, politicians are notorious for pulling verses out of Scripture and pulling it out of its context and then quoting it uh, to, you know, to better help their political argument. And of course, probably the most extreme example of that would be uh, Adolf Hitler, right, who hijacked the words of Jesus and he leveraged them, leveraged the words of Jesus to justify Jewish genocide. So, so listen to this quote from one of his uh, infamous speeches. He said, My feelings as a Christian, and again, this, this is Hitler talking, My feelings as a Christian point me to my Lord and Savior as a fighter. It points me to the man who once in loneliness, surrounded by only a few followers, Recognize these Jews for what they were and summon men to fight against them. In boundless love as a Christian man, as I read through the passage, which tells us how the Lord at last rose in his might and seized the scourge to drive out of the temple the brood of vipers. And then Hitler concluded, how terrific was his fight for the world against the Jewish poison. Okay. According to author Eric Bargerhuff, uh, Hitler took those words that Jesus did, I mean, it, it happened, but he took those words that Jesus directed, directed to a particular group of wicked people during his day, the religious leaders, 
And then Hitler pulled that out of that context and just applied it to an entire people group, hanging the label poison on all Jews. And again, look, I know that's an extreme example, but I think that that shows us just how much damage can be done when God's word is pried out of its context and abused. You know, misquoting God, misquoting scripture, is, is literally as old as sin. Right, That was Satan's first tactic in the garden. You know, when he showed up, and, and he's been using that old trick ever since. He's taking what God said, tweaking it, twisting it just a little bit. And well, this summer, we're starting a new sermon series just for the summer. We'll get back to Luke in the fall, but uh, it's called Housekeeping. Um, and, and the goal is to, to clean up some of the theological mess left behind from, you know, maybe even decades and centuries of misuse and misapplication um, of God's Word. And so as we walk through this, uh, please, please note at the very beginning, the, the point of this series is not so that we can look down our noses at all these other people that just don't read the Bible in its context. No, the, the purpose of this series is so that we can better place our lives beneath God's Word, so, so that we can better live in light of God's promises as they truly are, Okay. And so with that, this morning we begin our series with one of the most misunderstood verses that there is. Uh, it's a promise that's found in Jeremiah 29, 11. And so with that, let's read God's word to us uh, and we'll dive in. This is God's good, inspired uh, word. These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exile, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the eunuchs, the officials of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen, and the metal workers had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, the son of Shaphan, and Gemariah, the son of Hilkiah, whom Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to Babylon, to Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Here's what it said. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon, build houses and live in them, plant gardens and eat their produce, take wives and have sons and daughters, take, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters, multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let your prophets and your diviners who are among you deceive you. And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, declares the Lord. For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed in Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. God's Word. So if you have been a Christian for any length of time, uh, you've probably been gifted or have possessed something with that verse on it, right? Coffee mug, picture frame, something. Uh, 
Uh, because this is what many Christians call a, a life, life verse, right? Uh, because on the surface of this verse, like, like what's not to like about it? Uh, prosperity, <laughs> protection, uh, hope for the future. It, it's like, it reads like God's version of the divine approval of the American dream for us. And, and so we read this and we're like, yes, please, I, I want that. Sign me up. So when I graduated high school, I like some, I, I, I had no, no clue. What I was going, I had given zero thought to what I was going to be in life because I already knew what I was going to be. Um, but my dad was transitioning out of the dairy business, so I, I didn't know if I was going to be a farmer anymore. And then my my dreams of being a major league baseball player uh, weren't re- weren't really panning out either at that point. Um, but my my home church gifted me a Bible, you know, as churches do at graduation. They gifted me a Bible, and on the first blank page, as you open the Bible, one of the ladies of the church wrote. For I know the plans that I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare and not for calamity to give you a future and a hope. And I mean, like, if you take that verse as is, just as it is, there may not be a better verse for high school graduates or for anybody that's at a crossroads in life. And, and so conveniently, that life became, or that verse became a life verse for me. And I didn't know how, but apparently, it was in the Bible. Uh, apparently God was going to bless my life right here and right now. Apparently he had a plan for me. Uh, I didn't know what it was, but we were going to figure it out. And which then brings us to the question, is that what this verse is really about? Uh, About God promising me and promising you personal prosperity and blessing in a way that fits our timeline? Well, to answer that question and hopefully better understand what this verse really means, um, we have to place, we have to take this verse away from our coffee mug and place it back in the context of the passage in which it is found. And in doing so, we realize this. And here, here's the context. At this point in Jeremiah, at this point, uh, Israel had been in the promised land. But over time, Israel's kings and leaders failed. The people became unfaithful. And first, the Assyrians came in and they conquered the northern kingdom of Israel. While the southern kingdom, the place where Jerusalem is, remained relatively strong, relatively faithful, um, but it didn't stay that way. Over time, the southern kingdom, Judah, also fell away from God. They, they adopted the gods of culture. Um, they set up shrines. You know, Judah's leaders uh, became corrupt, which then led to rampant injustice. Um, what was going on in their, their little country was the most vulnerable people in their communities, the widows, the orphans, and the immigrants, were being taken advantage of. And, and during the, this particular time, a priest named Jeremiah, he lived and he worked in Jerusalem, was called by God to warn Israel of what was going on, to warn Israel of the consequences of, of breaking God's law and of turning to idolatry. And so Jeremiah even prophesied that the major superpower of, of their day, uh, the kingdom of Babylon, was going to come down and conquer them and, and take some of their people off into exile. Well, spoiler, uh, Israel didn't change, and Babylon did come, and Jeremiah lived through the siege and then the destruction of, of Jerusalem. And, and though Babylon did bring many Israelites into captivity, such as Daniel. You know, Daniel and the lions, then that all happened, happened during this exile period. Um, Jeremiah stayed in Jerusalem. He didn't get taken. He stayed in Jerusalem, 
And he continued preaching and writing letters to the people of God who were now living in Babylon. You know, people living in a pagan land where Yahweh wasn't worshipped, all, all of them wondering, how long is this going to last? How long are we going to be in exile? And so during this time, these false prophets uh, popped up saying, look, it's only going to be a year or two. Don't even unpack from your, your suitcases. Like, you're, not, you're going to be back home in no time. But Jeremiah said, no. That's why our pastor said, look, don't listen to those dreamers. Jeremiah said, no, God told me this is going to be 70 years, which means for some of you, exile will be the only life you know. Your whole life is going to be in exile. And so Jeremiah 29 is a letter that was written to the exiles telling them how to live as God's people in a land. Like, how do you live in a place that's not your true home? What do you do? do? And so it's in that context that we hear the promise in verses 10 and 11, and then, you know, there's promises continue, but we stopped at 11. It says, For thus says the Lord, when 70 years are complete, in other words, you know, this, this wasn't like a present name it and claim it right now type of a promise. This, this was a promise for something that was going to happen in the future. After 70 years is, is complete, one day I will visit you, and one day I'm going to bring you back home. And then here it is, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Okay. We'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. Uh, any Hebrew scholar will point you to the fact that this promise here is not to individuals. That the you that God is making this promise to is a plural form of you. So in the South, it would be like God is saying, I have a plan for y'all. and To give all of y'all, like all of y'all a future. I'm going to give all of y'all a hope. Which means in this context, God is talking to his people. This, this group of exiles as a collective. Which begs the question then, is this promise that's on our coffee mug even to us? Um, okay, well, before we get sad and you go home and throw away your picture frame, um, not so fast. Because as we read in the New Testament, we also find that if you are in Christ... Then, then you, we too, are called exiles. Um, as God's people, we too live in a place uh, that's not our true home, don't we? Uh, we? We still await the new heavens and the new earth. And since that's the case, then we too can receive God's word to exiles. Okay? And so if we read it that way, in, in that, this proper context, we see that before God even gives us this promise, he first gives us as exiles a theology of place, okay? You know, I love, I don't know about y'all, I love asking people, what brought you to Greenwood? You know, why, why are you in Greenwood? What brought you here? Um, you know, some of you have moved here for a job. You know, some of you moved here because, well, you married someone who was from here and now you, this is your place. You know, some of you have family here. Some of you have lived here your whole life, you know, but did you notice what our passage said? It starts off, it says, These are the words of the letter that Jeremiah the prophet sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders of the exiles and all the others in exile, whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile. But then in verse 4, he said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile. 
<laughs> well, which one is it, right? Did Nebuchadnezzar capture them and send them into exile? Or did the Lord send them into exile? Well, in a human sense, uh, we ask that question, you're like, well, you know what, my, my wife's from here, my husband's from here, we just moved here. Uh, I got a good job offer here, I farm land here, you know what, I was born here, that's why I'm here. In a, in a human sense, that's the answer. But as we see here, in a cosmic sense, we see that God called these people to Babylon, that God sent them to Babylon. So what that means is for you behind all of that, why are you in Greenwood? Why are you in the Delta, the hills? It's because God sent you. God called you. God placed you here. Okay. Now granted, the Israelites were sent into exile in Babylon as punishment. Uh, for their sins. And I know at times some of you may think that that's why you were in the Delta. You know, it is as punishment, right? Um, but look, on, on this side of the cross, it's not an exact parallel, okay? You're here because God sent you here and it's good. In John 17, Jesus said that we, uh, God's people, he says that we are not of this world, but we are in this world. And so what does all that mean? Does that mean that we just circle up in our little holy huddles and we boycott everything we possibly can um, and we live like the Amish? Well, God tells us here, first, as an exile, he calls us to settle in your place. Settle in our place. He says, build houses, plant gardens, get married, have children. You know, God is telling us to settle in the place that he's He's sent us, that He's placed us to, to put down roots, for us actually to be part of the social fabric of our town. Don't just be a consumer, be a contributor. Don't be a tourist. You know, be, be a resident. You know, uh, exile literally means resident alien. It, it, it's someone that, like, our ultimate address is somewhere else, but in the meantime, we also have an address here. And as uh, Pastor Brandon Lorenzen said, it's hard to settle in a place if you don't love the place, you know. Um, so do you love Greenwood? Do you love the Delta? I'm not asking if you think it's perfect. I'm not even asking if you uh, particularly like everything about it. But do you love it? Do you love the eccentric people that are around here? And do you love your neighbors do you love the seasons of the agrarian culture? Uh, do you love the Delta sunsets? Do you love the deep sense of community? Do you love our local restaurants? Do you love Greenwood? Do you love the hills, the Delta? You know, of all people, Christians have always had the most robust theology of place. You know, God calls us to flourish where he has placed us. Uh, we don't just pine for greener pastures because we realize there are no green pastures this side of glory. Um, to, to flourish where we have been placed, Eugene Peterson wrote, the aim of the person of faith is not to be as comfortable as possible, but to live as deeply and thoroughly as possible. To deal with a, the reality of life, to discover truth, create beauty, and act out love. The only place you have to be human, he writes, is where you are right now. I know you always wish you all wish you could be somewhere else, but this is where you are right now. The only opportunity you will ever have to live by faith is in the circumstances you are provided this very day. The house you live in, you know, the, the family you find yourself in, 
the joy that has been given to you, the weather conditions that prevail at this moment. So God says, settle. Settle in your place. But that's not all. Second, God also calls us to seek the welfare, which the word there, Hebrew word there is shalom, to seek the shalom of the place in which God has placed you. You know, shalom means, it's a big, big word in the Bible, but shalom means peace, prosperity, and welfare all put together. It's not just the absence of evil, but it's the presence of good. And so shalom is wholeness. It's, it's flourishing physical, mental, spiritual, relational, social. Um, Cornelius Plantinga says, Shalom is the webbing together of God, of humans, all of creation, in justice, fulfillment, and delight. Shalom, in other words, he writes, is the way things ought to be. Okay. And that's important. Because as much as we can love a place, we also know that things are not what they ought to be here in this world, in the Delta. You know, we all know the stats if you live in Mississippi. We all know the stats. Mississippi ranks 50th in healthcare, 43rd in education, 49th in economy, 48th in infrastructure, 44th in opportunity. Right, we, we know, right? Um, and, and that's just our state. But, but what about our home? Like where we, like right here. Um, a recent nationwide analysis, y'all may have read this too, uh, they, they sought to, to identify the most disadvantaged counties in, in the country. And, and so they did all this study, huge study, uh, and they published a list of the top 100 uh, most advantaged, disadvantaged counties in the country. And then they took the top 10 on that list and called those top 10 deeply disadvantaged. Deeply disadvantaged. And what we find is five of those ten are in Mississippi. And then sitting right there at number seven on the list is our place, uh, LaFleur County. And so look, this is not a call well, only to social justice. It's not that. Because the problem is also spiritual. Uh, this is a, a spiritually dark place. And yes, salvation belongs to the Lord, but the Lord also, He does call His people to intentionally seek the shalom of the place where we live, however we can. And there are all sorts of ways that we can do that, uh, that's all called by God, but one of those ways is through our vocation, right? And real quick, in the Bible, vocation doesn't mean your job, though it can. You know, vocation really means your calling, it's the fact that you, as a, as, a, as a human, have been called something by God. And so, you know, we are all called, as Trey read this morning, we're called a priesthood of believers. And so in where you work and where you do life, it's, it's kind of like your little parish. It's your little congregation. You know, that's the flock that you, you shepherd and pastor priest, priesthood within. Um, lead singer of U2, Bono, Bono said, I'm a musician. I write songs. I just hope that when the day is done, I have been able to tear a little corner off the darkness. And so seeking shalom means intentionality. You know, it's to say, I'm a teacher. I shape young minds. I'm an engineer. I help build products that help people. I'm a banker. I help people make wise financial decisions. I'm in healthcare. I heal people. It's to say, I'm a farmer. I feed the world. 
I'm a mother. I raise the next generation of Christians. And look, even if you're retired, you, you still have a vocation. Um, even if you're retired, you still have a calling to be a bringer of shalom in your little world. right? And so just to say, I hope that when the day is done, I've been able to tear just a little corner off of the darkness where I live. And so maybe, you know, today would be a good opportunity to take some time this afternoon and really just think, like, okay, if God calls me to settle where I am, to seek the shalom of where I am, then what does that look like in my life? Like, how can I intentionally do that? What what does that mean? Um, So as exiles, we settle, uh, we get involved, we pray, and we share Christ, and we seek the welfare of the place in which God has placed us, however we can. Okay. But what about our life first? The promise, right? Um, what does the promise mean for us today? And, and look, God may very well, by His grace, choose to bless you with fantastic job, beautiful family, wonderful health, wonderful life. He may very well do that, and I hope He does. Um, but that is not what is, is promised here. Because first, as we said, um, this is not a promise to your personal blessing. Um, no, this is a promise to God's people as a whole, which means it's to His church. That, that come what may, the church is going to be just fine. The church is going to be great. The church is going to be okay. But your personal life and my personal life m- may be horrendous. I mean, read about the saints in Hebrews 11, right? <laughs> which of their lives match this promise? Um, So what is the promise here? Well, God is talking about something so much better than God, give me a boat. And God, even better than God, don't give me cancer. This is a promise that God is going to come and bring us home. This is a promise of peace with God and His presence in our lives every step of the way. It's a promise that evil will not win the day, but shalom will. It's a promise that whatever our experience is, in the end, we will have a future and a hope. And God still promises us that. You know, again, to use Cornelius Plantiga again, he writes, God wants shalom, and he will pay any price to get it back. And he mentions human sin is stubborn, but not as stubborn as the grace of God. Amen? And not half so persistent not half so ready to suffer to win its way. And so how can we claim this promise? How is this promise fulfilled? Once again, it is pointing us to the hero. It is pointing us to the fact or the person and the work of Jesus. You know, um, as you read the Gospels, in recording the night in which Jesus was arrested, uh, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke all record essentially the same thing, that Jesus was out, he prayed, he prayed this, he said, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Remove the cup. And then John, John tells us something else that happened there. John um, notes that after Peter cut the man's ear off, remember in the garden, cut the man's ear off, Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. And then Jesus said, shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? Okay. What's up with all this cup talk? Um, Well, Jesus was being very explicit at this point about what he came to do. 
And this cup he was talking about was first mentioned in Jeremiah, where we are. And in Jeremiah 25, we read about this, this cup that's overflowing with wine. And this overflowing wine symbolized the wrath of God, that this cup of wrath that the nations were, were going to be made to drink. And Jeremiah made it clear that if you are not in God, you got to drink this thing. And he wrote, They shall drink and stagger and be crazed. He wrote, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Drink, be drunk, and vomit. Fall and rise no more. In other words, there's no getting out of this. Okay? Everyone has to face this. And it's not like, here's a little sip. It's like, no, we're getting the funnel out and you're just taking it. But if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, instead of, instead of you drinking the cup of God's wrath, Jesus came and on the cross he drank it all so that if you are in him, there is no more wrath left to be poured out on you. All that is left for you is mercy and grace. That's it. And so Jesus came and he died to drink the cup to make forgiveness like a reality. And to bring all the exiles who were in him back home, back to their true home. Okay, that's the promise we claim. That's the plan that God has for you. That's the hope and the future. And look, as great as that is, you know, we do get a taste of that now. Um, but the Bible also tells us that one day Jesus is going to return, and when he does, he's going to usher in complete shalom, complete, complete. Perfect. And so the Bible calls it the new heavens and the new earth. And what a day it will be. Uh, to use the picture that Misha read from us earlier from Jeremiah, Jeremiah prophesies that on that day, imagine this, our life, your life will be like a well-watered garden and you shall languish no more. Then shall the young women rejoice in the dance. You know, it's fun like I watched my daughter dance, you know. Um, young women shall rejoice in the dance, and young men, and even those old grumpy men, young men and old men shall be merry. He's bringing the joy back. And of that day, if you are in Christ, listen to what the Lord promises you. The Lord says, I will turn their mourning into joy, I will comfort them and give them gladness for sorrow. I will feast the soul of the priest with abundance. And my people shall be satisfied with my goodness. Be satisfied. Y'all, that's the plan. So it's not what we thought, is it? No, it's way better than we thought. You know, that's the future. That's the hope that we have. And since we already have that in Jesus... You know, if you are in Christ today, as we say often, like the bowling bumpers are up for you. Like you can't, you can't miss it, okay? The bowling bumpers are up, you can't miss, which means we can simply respond to God's promise in this life by trusting and obeying Christ in our place until our time of exile is over. Amen? <laughs> Let me pray for us. Um, Father, thank you for your word to us and the promise uh, that is so much better than we thought. And yet at the same time, as we live in light of the promise, remind me um, 
that you have called us to live as exiles in a very particular way. Uh, that we're not of this world, but at the same time, man, we live in it. And so while we live in it, uh, Lord, you call us to bring light into the darkness, uh, to tear off that little corner however we can, uh, to seek the welfare where we live. So Lord, we ask that you would give us hearts for Greenwood, uh, hearts for wherever the Delta, hearts for wherever we live. Um, Lord, bring intentionality, just grace-empowered intentionality. Lord, thank you for Jesus, the hope that he gives us. And may you fill us with hope. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.